Welcome to Scaling, Failing and Prevailing, a podcast about helping startups and corporates learn from each other through great conversations. Hi, I'm James Parton. I run the Bradfield Centre in Cambridge, where we help tech companies scale and host hundreds of free tech events every year. Previously, I've worked with corporate innovation at O2 and Telefonica and have experienced startup to IPO with San Francisco-based Twilio. And I'm Adelina Chalmers. I'm known as the Geek Whisperer. I work in tech startups and corporates, enabling geeks and leaders to speak better with each other. I also help startups from Cambridge University secure investment. This time our guest is Tim Robinson, who's the CEO of Tech East. For those unfamiliar with Tech East, it's an organization that aims to connect together the tech communities in the east of England and also to provide a single voice for the needs of uh, businesses in the east. So we're uh, really looking forward to talking to Tim today to learn about the challenges that he faces in his role. What I'd really like to find out from Tim is a bit more information on Tech East's role in helping these skills provider networks like universities, colleges, schools, non-traditional education, how they're helping build that pipeline of staff that Cambridge or East of England startups and companies need to grow. Yeah, and I think um, Tim kind of represents a region of the country, right? So I'm, I'm really interested to get Tim's thoughts on the perception of the East of England. Does the, you know, does the region need an identity? I think that's kind of a fascinating kind of area to pick into. It's also just a huge patch. You know, he has to cover a very large region. And, you know, when you look at places like Norwich, Ipswich, Cambridge, everywhere in between, everywhere's got its own kind of unique identities and individual kind of needs. So how do you tie all of that up together? And one of the things that I heard Tech East is about is helping businesses that are emerging um, in the east of England access resources they need to grow. So I'd love to find out a bit more from him about what that looks like in reality. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Welcome to the show, Tim. Would you like to tell us a few words about yourself? Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm Tim Robinson, and I'm Chief Operating Officer of Tech East. Uh, Tech East was created in 2006 to attempt to join up uh, the uh, then disparate parts of the tech community and cluster in the east of England. So starting life really uh, east of here, east of Cambridge, in Norfolk and Suffolk, um, but trying to connect the entrepreneurship, business support, and academic kind of environments with each other and to make really importantly connections with Cambridge and London because uh, one thing that was very clear was that for businesses that were ambitious and wanted to uh, grow and scale, uh, the, the, there was a much wider uh, array of support available on the doorstep but not necessarily you know, right, 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 in, the, uh, right in the region. So um, part of what we do is to connect businesses up with each other and with uh, support. Uh, but, but the other half is really about presenting a much stronger face and, a, uh, and speaking with a, a stronger voice to central government and to external uh, decision makers to attract more investment into the region, you know, uh, to, to, to make sure that the East of England's profile and visibility is raised uh, and sustained. So, so Tim, that, that sounds like a, a huge job um, and an exciting one as well. Um, anyone that's been, I guess, familiar with how government has 
shone a spotlight on tech in the UK. Yeah. It's probably familiar with the kind of, uh, I guess, the origins of Tech City um, in Shoreditch, largely in, in London. Then we had the advent of Tech North and the focus on Manchester and what's happening across the Pennines, et cetera. Um, you know, we know that there's tech clusters in like places like Bristol and Brighton and various other places. How important is it, do you think, you know, for the East to, to be a part of that conversation and get that recognition nationally? Or, or do you think that kind of opportunity is passed? The way that I would look at it is that the, the, the kind of Tech Nation report, which first I think came out in 2015, was very helpful and has been instrumental in exposing individual cities or, um, or, or, or clusters, mm. you know, in terms of their strengths and in terms of what they might need to, to grow and develop. But that's tended to be on a kind of city by city basis. Mm -hmm. And I think when we look at the east of England, we have a, 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 a number of smaller but important centres, so particularly Cambridge, Norwich and Ipswich slash Martlesham, uh, where BT has its uh, uh, one of its global R&D centres. Um, and it's only when you sort of see it in aggregate that you can describe a cluster of with, with, with real scale. Uh, Manchester's clearly a much, much bigger place. And Edinburgh's a cap capital city. Um, uh, Bristol, again, you know, it's a, it's a regional capital and it's a, it's, a, it's a major city. So I think there's a job to be done to join up across a region in order to kind of be on the, on the same playing field as some of these other some of these other cities. And certainly I think Tech Nation have done a great job over the last sort of 18 months or so um, extending out into the regions. And we've got um, uh, Taya Goodluck, our uh, regional entrepreneurial engagement manager for the east of England, who, who is developing that wider network. But it, but, but it is harder work, I think, when you're, when you're geographically disparate yeah. as we are in the east. Yeah, it's actually the geographical spread is actually quite unique, I think, in some degrees in terms of the population centres in the, in the east. So, I mean, for, for, for kind of listeners that aren't so familiar with the region, could you just give us a kind of whistle-stop tour of what's hot in the region right now? You know, you mentioned Norwich and Martlesham and, and Cambridge. I mean, we've had a few guests, obviously, uh, on the show from Cambridge, yeah. we're based here, but maybe, you know, focus a little bit on Norwich and Ipswich or, or any other location in the region that's worth, you know, bringing to people's attention. Okay. Um, so if we, so I tend to think of it, of the whole area as a kind of diamond shape and it's important to recognize how close we are to London. I mean, it's, it's, it's an hour from Ipswich, I guess it's about an hour from Cambridge, kind of very soon it'll be an hour and a half from, from Norwich. But so at the base of that diamond, you have, uh, you have London and the east of London, particularly Shoreditch and the whole kind of Silicon Roundabout area is connected via the rail link out east from Liverpool Street yeah. up to Ipswich and Norwich. Um, so if you think about, if we go, kind of go up that line, I think one of the first important places you get to is, is Colchester and the University of Essex, which has a... Um, now a particularly strong sort of set of academic and research capabilities in AI and data analytics and robotics, and are now building a, a kind of a startup 
ecosystem, a kind of early startup ecosystem out of their campus, up uh, uh, what they call Knowledge Gateway. So Is that um, largely kind of student spin-outs or...? It's a combination of student enterprise. Yep. So they've got a kind of student enterprise hub within their new innovation center, mm -hmm. a particular focus on kind of AR and VR. Yep. That. But also it's uh, leveraging relationships that the university has with businesses through things like knowledge transfer partnerships. Okay. Plus attracting those startups and uh, you know early stage tech companies that might be growing up organically in the region but hitherto haven't had a home. So that's kind of like the first stop on the line, if you like. And then you come to Ipswich, which is about 20 miles further north, and you have both uh, within the town centre quite a nice range of uh, tech businesses, the University of Suffolk, which has particular focus on sort of ICT and digital education and um, apprenticeships uh, and has uh, a, a sort of, so there is, there, is, there is a sort of small but growing scene in Ipswich. But what kind of characterizes Ipswich is the relationship with BT, which has been there since the kind of early 70s, I guess. It used to be the post office research unit, then BT Labs, BT Industrial Park. There must be three and a half thousand people on there, technologists and engineers. Uh -huh. uh, there are, there's BT itself, but then there are about 125 other businesses based up there, including some big names like Huawei and Cisco and um, Ericsson and Nokia. And then uh, startups uh, kind of clustered around BT, with many of whom will have a relationship with BT, but some of which don't. Uh, and that's called Innovation Martlesham, that cluster. And then as you move to the sort of the, the, the top point of the diamond, if you like, uh, in Norwich, uh, I mean, Norwich is a very attractive city. It is um, a cathedral city. It's a university city. UEA um, has kind of historically been the main kind of source of kind of new talents coming in, mm. both arts and sciences. So strong creative industries. Norwich University of the Arts, particularly in, um, again, um, areas like games design and development and UX design. And then on the other hand, you also have very, you know, historically strong financial services industry dominated by Aviva, but also Marsh. Um, so the kind of fintech, insurtech um, uh, uh, sort of uh, markets are quite strong up there. Plus, there's a very supportive tech community in terms of meetups. There's a, an annual startup weekend called uh, Sync the City, which yep. has been going for about five years. Uh, there, are, there are developer conferences and so on. And then finally, as you kind of move across further, uh, further towards here, you have this now, now what's called the Cambridge Norwich Tech Corridor. So this intentional connection from Norwich to Cambridge and along that corridor, some sort of strategic sites like Norwich Research Park, which specializes in agri-tech and bio and um, so areas like, you know, the uh, plant science and the human, hu human gut. And then finally, uh, Hethel Engineering Center, uh, which is a, a center for engineering technology and industry 4.0. That's where Lotus are based, right? That's right, yeah. yeah. So Lotus have their, um, have their main UK site at, at, at Hethel, and that's been, um, you know, the sort of home of Lotus for many years, but co-located with that, you know, a, a, an incubator for engineering businesses. Yeah, and, and that's, I think, really interesting because you see that clustering of companies around, you know, a main hub like Lotus. And also in Norwich, um, you see that around the kind of television and radio industry as well, don't you, with ITV and uh, BBC being there as well? Yes, that's right. So, um, 
I think in a in a, in a way as we've seen with the BBC moving to Salford, yeah. um, uh, if you have a kind of mothership or anchor employer and can create an ecosystem of smaller production companies and supply into that. Um, Norwich is on a smaller scale than that, but there is a heritage of creative industries and there's also a big regional publishing company, Arch, and published the local newspapers, one of the biggest groups in the UK. So there is that, there is that kind of media and, um, and creative industries cluster up there. Mm. So one of the things that I um, I heard that Tech East focuses on is um, in a, enabling having a, a more intimate conversation around skills and talent between employers and the skill provider network. And I, I was wondering, um, sometimes people think that there's a, a bit of a brain drain uh, from the east of England to London because we're so close to it. Um, what's your experience or perhaps what is Tech East doing about that side of things? So I think that certainly the perception historically has been of a, of a brain drain mm. and there will always be uh, a kind of part of the population who will want to kind of pursue a career either in London or further afield, you know, and, um, and, and, and I think that's inevitable and, 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 it shouldn't, and it shouldn't be stopped. However, I think there is also some evidence of a kind of reverse effect where people are perhaps pursuing the early part of their career in London and then when it gets to say early 30s and maybe people starting to have families and thinking about okay where do they really want to be especially if people have local connections it's very easy to kind of make that reverse move so there is some evidence say in Norfolk and Suffolk that in the kind of 21 to 34 age demographic that there's a, a, a modest inflow of talent and part of that is attraction to you know, a more balanced lifestyle. I mean, it's a beautiful place to live. But increasingly, I think also the business offer is really, really, mm. is really strong. And um, I mean, part of what I think we and a lot of our partners, whether it's the local enterprise partnership or the local authorities or the business community is trying to do is, is paint a picture of the region that's more to do with business and career and opportunity than it is to do with, you know, a place to come and relax it's a bit it has to be a bit has to be a bit mm. of both mm. um so the the whole question of how to address the challenges around the skills gap in the region i mean we think we've we've estimated there are about ten thousand new and replacement roles that need to be filled in tech by 2024 mm. and a current workforce of about twenty three thousand. so it's a huge you know there's a huge challenge that is not going to be solved simply through the kind of traditional graduate experience employment route mm. there's the whole uh, opening up of, of, of new pathways into the profession, whether it's through uh, apprenticeships or degree apprenticeships or internships, whether it's you know code coding initiatives like Code Nation that's now here in Cambridge or the Creative Computing Club in Ipswich, which is taking you know kids at primary age and actually really getting them almost work ready in the context of an out of school uh, computing club environment, um, but also the whole question around upskilling and reskilling people who are already in work and maybe mid-career, possibly in industries where the requirement for human beings is going to reduce in terms of numbers as AI and machine learning and data kind of come to the fore. So 
you know, we're, we, 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 we're helping, you know, the region deliver on its skills plan. We have a, a talent and skills task force uh, that brings together employers, academia, academia, and kind of alternative providers to try and try and tackle some of these issues. But they're not unique to this region by any means. I mean, they are national and global problems. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I mean, well, maybe I'm kind of jumping around a little bit with this question, and we, I think we should come back to talent and skills because it's obviously mm. really important. And I want to talk to you about the role of universities, but a kind of question that popped into my head while you were talking there: Do you feel it's important for the East to have a particular identity? You know, to kind of nail its colours to a particular mast? Um, you know, we we had things like Tech City, we had Tech North, we had the Midlands Powerhouse. You know. I, Maybe there's a, a perception that, you know, the East could maybe lead around things like clean tech or agritech with its kind of heritage in the region. Do you think that's a positive thing or do you think that that stifles innovation in other areas? You know, what's your your take on that kind of need for an identity? Well, I think the I think the answer to that partly lies in just understanding that the UK is a small place mm. and within the UK, in order to make it easier for government uh, particularly to understand what um, each region can bring to the sort of national table, I mean, I think that's one of the, one of the reasons why the industrial strategy and local industrial strategies that are now being published help because they kind of say, okay, what well, this is our calling card as a region. It's not the whole story, as you say. Yeah. You know, the the, the message is not if you are. Um, I don't know. Let's take an example. If, uh, if 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 the east of England is is increasingly about agri food, new food, clean tech, that's not to say that manufacturing and engineering and industry 4.0 hasn't got a role, but it yeah. might not be the lead area. Yeah. Um, when you scratch below the surface in the east of England, there's a pretty diverse range, but it absolutely helps to be, um, to, be, to be clear about where you want to grow and where you've already got strength. Uh, and I certainly believe that, you know, as I say, we're a small country, the opportunities for for partnerships and collaboration across the whole of the nation uh, is, you know, is is probably the way forward. Uh, there is a balance clearly to be struck between celebrating your niches and growing and, and growing them, yeah. but also uh, having uh, a business environment that can support anyone. Yeah, being inclusive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Coming back to the role of universities and and their input into developing a great economy in the east of England. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a bit more about the work that perhaps Tech East is do it, doing in this space? Because um, one of the, the challenges that I, I've seen when I work with some of the tech companies that are my customers is that uh, they often find it very hard to recruit. So as you're saying, building this pipeline of talent. Um, and when they do recruit, they, they often recruit um, people who are graduates or quite young in their careers. And their, their perception is very academic and don't really um, think about the, the, the place of work. And it looks like they haven't really been prepared for the place of work. So um, could we open that kind of, kind of can of worms a sure. little bit? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, it is a bit of a can of worms. Um, I think there is... So, so, so the universities have... have, have 
quite there's quite a lot of different roles that universities can play i mean there is so so there's obviously the there's the basic provision of a pipeline of new graduates into the industry mm. um and uh, although that's not the only uh route into tech for a lot of um, you know ambitious employers uh it is it, it, it is one of the preferred routes uh making sure that those people have actually got some kind of understanding of the workplace and the interpersonal skills and team working skills that are mm. required is not that doesn't always sit with the core purpose of universities mm. in terms of teaching and academic research mm. i think universities recognize they need to do more and there are lots of programs that you know seek to do that uh whether it's through kind of careers uh, offices you know seeking uh, placements for students or whether it's something like i teams which uh, uh you know provides uh, kind of multidisciplinary teams to work on particular projects for employers um, the uh, and then there is the whole question of business engagement and enterprise engagement. I know you've had Andy Neely from the University of Cambridge here on, on as a guest before. Uh, so things like knowledge transfer partnerships, uh, where you would take a typically you know a postgraduate and place that individual within uh, within a business for a period of time to help them with their innovation. Uh, but sometimes it feels like some of these programs, I think, are sort of like kind of add-ons can feel like yes. bolt-ons to the core purpose yeah. and that the, the in the guts and the heart of a university is an is a population of academics with individual mm. research interests yeah. and trying to corrupt you know for for an organization to try and corral and steer them into any kind of coherent behaviors mm. can be very very difficult mm. so i think it, it varies and i think some universities some of the for example the newer universities mm. uh, sort of the universities that came up through the 1960s have built really kind of strong relationships with industry. Mm. Uh, but I think in the east of England, that's probably only beginning to kind of come together in a, in a meaningful way. And certainly, I think when I talk to our members, our business members, they will often say, you know, we have to do quite a lot of work to with graduates to get them even the kind of basic coding, if, they, so if they're coming into mm. developer-type roles, mm. uh, the kind of coding skills. So there's probably quite a lot of opportunities for non-traditional providers to come yeah. in and either work either uh, as a, it's sort of independent. I'm thinking about, you know, the general assemblies and the code nations of this or the Cambridge mm. Sparks of this world mm. with a much more sort of business-focused proposition. Or what would be perhaps uh you know a really desirable hybrid is where you have universities and fe colleges working with these kind of alternative providers and maybe ho hosting them under their roof yeah and providing the kind of student friendly safe environment but working with a diverse range of, of, of partners I mean, I think actually you made a really important point there because um i don't know if you've heard of this company called the cheeky scientist um, they essentially train academics um, and prepare them for industry. So then they get careers and jobs in industry uh, that are at the relevant level to their um, level of expertise. Right. Because often, I mean, sometimes, not often, but sometimes academics who have superb expertise in their field start at a junior role in a company just because they don't understand the commercial side of, of that sort of role. And um, I think companies like Cheek the Cheeky Scientist are 
are more of the sort of thing that I, I, I'm I talking about and I, I've seen that people people need um, in, in some of these tech companies. And that's why I was wondering if there was a way to roll something that like that out as part of the core um, courses that universities have as well. But I think you're right because, you know, it's if, if you do want to stay in academia, then that sort of thing is not really necessarily relevant or interesting to you. So it is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard balance to strike between having someone who's superbly um, expert at their, their, um, their craft, um, but also understanding commercial, uh, commercial part. And this is actually one of the things I do, you know, when I, when I work with companies and I work with engineers who've come straight out of university and into a corporate or into a startup, Part of the, the stuff that I do with them is kind of help them understand that there's always a commercial source, a commercial basis for anything they're doing. So does the Cheeky Scientist cover computer science as well? Um, I think it mainly covers academics um, in the sense of scientists. Uh -huh. but as, okay. So not developers or okay. you know, technical engineers. It's mainly uh, scientists that have been in academia for um, sometimes a few years and they realize okay. they have no future in academia. It's very well known in the States, not as well known in the UK. Oh, so it's a US but organization. I, yeah. Okay. But I, I do know their um, chief operations was based in Cambridge. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Worth checking out. Yeah. yeah. Catherine Sorbara. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So, so Tim, you know, you mentioned in your introduction, um, I mean, anyone that's based in the region will no doubt have seen you at different events and, you know, you're on the road constantly, but uh, a big part of the job is actually maybe down in London trying to influence policymakers. So can you maybe tell us about, about that side of the role and kind of uh, your work down in Westminster trying to get that kind of recognition for the East? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, that's kind of built up over the last three years um, from, I think, initially, you know, just trying to pull together coherent responses from uh, tech, you know, the tech sector in the region to things like the industrial strategy. So, for example, in 2017, we had a science and innovation audit for the east of England, which is worth digging out of that dusty drawer where it's been sitting for a, for, for a couple of years or downloading because it, it maps out kind of across the whole of the east of England, so that's Essex, Hertfordshire, and, you know, Norwich, uh, Norfolk, uh, Suffolk, uh, Cambridgeshire, and slightly beyond. Kind of everything across, you know, life sciences, ICT digital, advanced manufacturing and engineering, and agri-tech, and really kind of identifies, um, you know, where where the strongest clusters are and where there are perhaps gaps in the in, in that and, and how things link together. Uh, and so 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 we started off, you know, by helping uh, develop the, uh, you know, digital element of that science innovation audit. From then, you know, we worked with with Tech Nation before they had uh, a, someone in place in the east of England to help yeah. Tech Nation kind of navigate the region and see what was going, see what was going on here, and, and referring some businesses to their programs to raise uh, raise the profile of the region. And then latterly, we've um, joined a new uh, grouping, kind of relatively informal grouping called the UK Tech Cluster Group, which is made up of me and my opposite numbers from all of the kind of grassroots tech communities and clusters around the UK. So whether that's Manchester or Brighton or Bristol or Cardiff. And through that group, uh, we can provide 
sort of responses to policy initiatives mm -hmm. from uh, from government. Obviously, we're in a period of uh, a great deal of political change at the moment, and there's yep. uncertainty. But there's clear recognition that the digital economy is growing, is increasingly important. We have particularly, say, in London, uh, you know, a fantastic reputation globally in fintech. Yep. I think in the, in, in, in the east of England, we have a great reputation in AI. Um, and those, uh, those kinds of, um, those industries need to be supported with the right policy framework. Now, the policy framework at the moment, whether it's the education policy framework, whether it's uh, around infrastructure and the sort of physical hubs and places like the Bradfield Center, you know, there are lots of gaps uh, in the market. There are also, you know, real uh, kind of inequalities or let's say um, uneven distribution of access to finance. Yeah. So although there's lots of good work going on through organizations like Tech Nation or the British Business Bank to try and pull that together, there's still a huge amount of work to be done. And the UK is competing now with, you know, with, the, with China, with the US, with other European countries. So uh, we, so UK Tech Cluster Group is, is I think the voice, if you like, of the UK's regions from a tech point of view now into government in a way that wasn't there before. But we also have the old regional development agencies that were, uh, you know, uh, have been replaced by local enterprise partnerships. And local enterprise partnerships are the main sort of mechanism for government to distribute funding yeah. into the regions. So maintaining a really close relationship with the local enterprise partnerships is, 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 is key. And we've started to see some good things coming out of that, things like digital skills partnerships and local digital skills partnerships. There's a lot more work to be done. And yes, uh, that means that I have to spend, sort of divide my time between, you know, London, whether it's Westminster or Shoreditch, and then the region, which is quite a wide one. So yes, there's lots of running around. So, I mean, I think it's fair to say, and I think I'm guilty of this as well, that there's a bit of a perception that when it comes to working with government, especially from an entrepreneur's perspective, these things tend to be a bit of a talking shop and there's not much evidence of action or change, but it... It sounds like there that what you're describing is you're starting to see that trickle through now. Is that fair to say? I think it is fair to say. I mean, we've we've been quite pleased with the uh, level of engagement, I think, with civil servants now actually coming out of London into the regions. I mean, not just uh, MPs and civil servants, but also people like tech journalists have often sort of not made the journey much far, far beyond the M25. Yeah. And that is beginning to change. I think we could see a bit more of it. The, the reality is that the last two or three years, there's been a huge sort of slowing down of the machinery of decision-making yeah, parts sure. of government. In, There's in, some in, stuff going on. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and you know, uh, the, 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 so just last week we ran a, uh, an event in Ipswich with uh, Codec and DCMS on sort of helping tech startups plan for a potential no deal, which is actually a lot more interesting than it sounds. Uh, but... Um, I mean, my sense is that there are there are a whole bank of initiatives that are either are kind of kind of slowed down or been paused that are just waiting to hopefully yeah. get rolling again. Uh, as I say, I think I think we've achieved some good things in terms of increased visibility. But what will really drive it, James, uh, is 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 success stories. You know, big success stories, breakout success stories, are what will make the region sort of sing and come alive and give places their reputation. It's all very well talking about it. We give the example of Skyscanner in Edinburgh. Yeah. 
I mean, not only did it put Edinburgh on the map as being a sort of serious place for tech that can produce a, you know, a unicorn-sized business, but the after effects of that in terms of creating a bank of exited um, you know, founders, early stage yeah. entrepreneurs yeah. who can start to reinvest in startups on their patch and yeah. form angel networks and so on yeah. is really the kind of the kicker that you need to make things lift off. Yeah. And I think Cambridge has been doing that kind of, mm. to some extent, quietly and confidently for at least 40 years. And we've seen, you know, whether it's uh, Arm or Autonomy or Abcam or whatever, the, these yeah. big sort of CMR surgical, the most recently. Uh, but but those, but those aren't household names often, and uh, I think one of the one of the challenges in it for the for the UK is how do you get attention for and traction for the tech stuff that you're doing when it is primarily B two B and enterprise based. Yeah. Mm. So one of the things that you I think you said that uh, Tech East is all about is helping the businesses that are emerging in the east of England to access resources that they need to grow. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that the, the LEPs are essentially doing that role of channeling the money back from government down into each region. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about what you're doing or what the east of um, Tech East is doing to help those emerging companies in the region? So I think the first thing that we do is to try and understand all of the different networks and uh, kind of business support entities that there are and how they, how they fit together uh, and where the where there is perhaps a, a more generic offer. So take, for example, the growth hubs that help businesses, you know, identify kind of grant funding and, 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 and growth funding. Their focus doesn't tend to be on one sector in particular. And, and so we would, for example, work with our local growth hubs on that kind of digital piece. So, for example, if uh, they identify a business that's, that, 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 that's got ambition in growing, um, directing them to Tech East, or we would, we would signpost those other organizations. You know, whatever the flavor of tech that you're into, whether it's kind of wireless tech, you know, Cambridge Wireless, here's a fantastic network, or AgriTech East, uh, or um, you know, some of the kind of parts of Innovate UK, uh, there are, you know, there's a multitude. There's also sort of general business organizations like the IOD and the Chambers of Commerce and the CBI. So everyone's kind of got, 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 a, got a piece of the puzzle, but it's not necessarily linked together. And, you know, we're very open to um, working with, 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 with all those networks. For example, we ever have on our, um, on our website, we, we manage a calendar of events, we kind of aggregate everything that's going on across the region and try and make sure that, you know, if you're subscribed to that or you're checking it out, you don't miss a relevant event. Um, that obviously not everything is for everybody, but um, pulling that all together uh, is 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 one thing. I think also the geographical dimension. Coming back to that, um, James sort of and I were talking about you know earlier on. Uh, if you're based in Norwich, for example, there is a ton of. Uh, relevant support that you can access in Cambridge, but you need to kind of come down there to do that, which is why it's important to have hubs like the Bradfield Centre or the Enterprise Centre in Norwich or the Innovation uh, Centre in, in, in Colchester to be those kind of landing places for businesses so that they can kind of come and explore what might be on offer. And that might be investor networks, it might be angel networks, it might be uh, you know, uh, you know, it might be learning. It might be uh, access to talent programs. It could be access to sort of programs that work between corporates and startups. 
The point is that they're distributed across quite a wide region. So part of part of it is trying to uh, develop that mindset that there's uh, there's a kind of there's a bigger there's a bigger picture, and 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 you can and and you can do more if you're prepared to get on the train or get in the car. Yeah. So can I just jump on that then? Um, not on the train, but it's. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> you know, I think if you uh, if you've spent time working in like a city like London, you know, the perception is is the networking and events scene is easy to access because, you know, there's that culture of staying after work and you can hop on a tube or a, you're a short taxi rider away from being in the action. Um, actually, the reality of anyone that's worked in London, it probably takes as long to get across the city that it does to drive from Norwich to Cambridge. But that's a different ballgame. Um what would you because it does feel like there's a bit of a psychological effort to be made you mm. know to to go to norwich for an event or yeah. go to ipswich for an event or come to cambridge for an event you know how would you describe um the benefit that founders or you know uh, entrepreneurs would get from just getting out into the community and raising their profile because we've we've chatted about this on a couple of different episodes in different ways and i think we do tend to find our more technical founders sometimes miss the nuance of, you know, there might not be a, an obvious tangible takeaway from making that effort, but actually the relationships you start to build over time can really pay back further down the line, which aren't immediately obvious. Um, but what's your take on that? Because obviously at the heart of it, you're a membership organization. So you must fundamentally believe that bringing people together creates opportunity. Yeah, we do. And I, I think that the understanding the value of a network and uh, continually growing it is, you know, is 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 one of the is one of the keys to success. Um, and uh, it's often the case that um, you know a career in tech uh, is not just about it's not just about one company. You know, you will jump around whether you're an entrepreneur and. and if this is your first startup, it probably won't be your last. You'll probably go on to do more than one. And you just never know how, when, when and how that network's going to kick in. So I think the second thing is that networking isn't transactional. Uh, you might go to something hoping to meet exactly the right person, you know, whether it's a potential customer, whether it's a potential investor, whether it's a potential new hire as you're growing your business. Oh. But it often doesn't work that way. But the people that you will meet uh, might... T- might tend to uh, d- deliver the value to you late, later on. So it's kind of asynchronous as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think perhaps, perhaps, perhaps the, the, the final point is that, you know, networks are often quite tribal. There are different crowds. So, you know, there's like the developer crowd. There's the investor crowd. There's the... Um, there's the, there's the research scientists crowd. There's the legal and accounting and professional services crowd. And trying to get those 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 those, those tribes to mix is quite is quite difficult. Uh, it it is certainly the case that uh, you can go to a networking event kind of every night of the week, pretty much in Cambridge, most nights of the week in Norwich, and actually choosing how you're going to spend your time is important. But if you're not doing it. I would say that 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 just just look at those companies that are succeeding. They're really mobilising their people um, to you know to 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 to, to get out and about, um, and certainly for um, I think the future of the region, more much more of a sort of joined up approach is is the right way to go. Okay, so you're kind of you know well over two and a half years into the job now, so. 
Yeah, unbelievably. <laughs> How would you summarize like the, the 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 future? What does the future look like for the East? You know, it feels like you've done a lot of that foundational work. So, so what can we look forward to seeing over the next couple of years? Yeah, so I think that I think that the phase that we're kind of coming coming to the end of is trying to sort of build that more joined up tech community within itself. So, uh, you know, uh, whatever you call it, ICT, digital, digital tech. So that people know what's available uh, elsewhere in the region, have greater awareness of the value of some of those programs, are starting to move around, whether it's things th through things like the Techies Workspace Passport or, you know, coming to some of our, you know, sort of like Friday breakfast events. We are seeing much more tra traffic between the areas. I think the next big opportunity is about the digital community mixing it up with some of these other sectors in a big way. So the energy sector, you know, we've got this massive clean energy offshore wind sector off the, you know, off the, off the coast of Norfolk and Suffolk. The, but the amount of uh, interaction and cross-sector innovation with, say, the digital community is limited at the moment. Uh, I think the same is true of the agri-food and farming sector. So I think the next wave is about and this is and this is going to be driven by things like the application of AI and data into these other industries is going to be about cross-sector innovation. And that's going to be about a conversation between corporates in those other sectors, startups in the tech sector and vice versa. But also coming back to the question of universities, universities are going to have a massive role to play in terms of sort of that interdisciplinary uh, knowledge sharing and knowledge yeah. transfer. So I think that's what I hope to see, a much, some much more intentional joining up of uh, the tech community with the other industries that are really strong in the region, because yeah. that's what will forge a kind of coherent identity that, you know, it kind of gives us a competitive advantage over other parts of the UK and the world. Yeah, no, fantastic. Um, a good time to be in the East. Tim, thank you so much for coming onto the show. It was really good uh, hearing about the stuff that uh, Techist is doing in the region. And also, it turns out Cambridge is not the centre of the universe. <laughs> what about poor old Bedfordshire? We never get mentioned in in, in the east, or we're like well, I don't know, we're forgotten. We you live in Bedfordshire. East. That's good enough for me. That's yeah. famous enough for oh, that. Okay, <laughs> Bedfordshire's got no hope then. Okay. <laughs> So I thought it was really good to actually understand the kind of chain of how these things work, because I think, as, as I said, when we were chatting to Tim, I'm as cynical as the next person about the time you spend with government officials talking about stuff and does it really make a difference? But understanding how Tim is gathering the feedback from the region and the businesses that are based here, taking that as one voice to the, the policymakers and then how you then see that come back out into the region through the LEPs in particular and that funding then being accessible for programs. You know, I think kind of slightly actually encouraged that that process is now starting to work. So it was good to hear Tim describe that. I was found also interesting his um, angle on the fact that some of the companies that are successful in the region, like ARM, like ABCAM or Autonomy, uh, or even now CMR Surgical, are not necessarily as well known as coming from this region or just well-known in general because they're more uh, B2B companies instead of B2C companies. Like, for example, Skyscanner put 
um, Edinburgh on the map as yeah. a tech city. So that, yeah. that was very interesting. I hadn't realized that difference. Yeah, it's kind of like London. You know, you you have companies like Deliveroo coming out of the London tech scene, right? So they're very visible to people that aren't working day to day in tech. So you know, finding that you know halo company for the region uh, is, I think, is you know really important. I'm not sure where it's coming from though, because like you know, everything I see certainly in the work I do is it is B two B. There's very little B two C. I'm wondering, it's actually because Cambridge is very high tech, and this high tech is mainly aimed at other businesses. Oh. And I'm wondering if that's one of the... And also the other thing is that a lot of VCs won't touch B2C companies. Well, local VCs. Local yeah. VCs, yeah. yeah. And maybe that's another um, yeah. pressure. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting one. But, you know, let's hope that something does come through that provides that kind of pull for the region. Thank you very much to Tim Robinson for being with us today. It was really great to have you on the show. A huge thank you to Speechmatics who are supporting the show. Their industry-leading voice to speech technology has allowed us now to offer transcripts of all the shows. Check out scalingfailingandprevailing.com and there you can read as well as listen to all the episodes. So thank you to Speechmatics. The show was produced by Carl Homer and our logo was designed by Tanya Zilke and Anne-Marie Miller of Carbon Orange. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on whichever podcasting service you use. And also don't forget to connect to us and talk to us on social. You can find us at Prevail Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn.